0: Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best tech leaders in the world to share with you how to scale your business from 2 million ARR to 100 million uh, annual recurring uh, revenue. Today, we have a very special guest. Uh, His name is Brad Mcginity, Chief Revenue Officer at 15.5. And you will help me, Brad, with your surname to start the show in the best way possible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> absolutely, Mike. Thanks so much. Brad McGinnity. That second eye is oftentimes <laughs> hiding in there, but you did pretty well. Did pretty well.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much. It's really a pleasure to to have you on the show. Thanks again for making the time. And yeah, let us know a little bit more about yourself and how did you win joining
1: 15.5? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks so much for having me as a guest on the show. I appreciate it. So uh, my story is, is not that unusual. Uh, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, and went down to college at the University of North Carolina, uh, met a girl, and decided I was going to make my life in the Raleigh-Durham area, which is uh, fortunately a great hub of technology and startups. And so uh, my first job out of college, I joined a startup where I was the uh, first hired employee, and I was the first salesperson at this company. And we were selling websites and a content management system. It was a bunch of college kids uh, who were really smart, but had no idea what they were doing. And uh, the business is still running. Uh, I think now 15 years later, uh, New Media Campaigns, a great, great group of guys over there. Um, But I left and went to a company called Bronto Software because I wanted a little bit more. um, I needed to learn how to sell. Uh, I was learning on my own. And so uh, with the inexperienced founders of New Media Campaigns, I wanted to head to an organization where I could get a little bit more structure and learning and process. So I joined Bronto Software under the leadership of a VP of sales named Matt Williamson, who uh, later on, as we fast forward, became my co-founder at a company called Windsor Circle. And so I had a ton of success at Bronto. Um, That was where I really got my itch for uh, startups and started to understand the business of startups and uh, really became uh, aware of process and methodology uh, all under Matt's uh, training and tutelage. So I left Bronzo, went and did a full-time MBA uh, at the University of North Carolina. And while I was in school, Matt and I started a marketing analytics software company called Windsor Circle. We were focused on uh, predictive analytics for e-commerce businesses to understand their uh, transaction history of a customer and predict what the customer is going to buy next. So we ran that business from... Uh, 2010 until, uh, well, the company's still going today, was sold to a business called What Counts down in Atlanta. And I'd left uh, Winter Circle in 2017 after a nine-year run or eight-year run as the vice president president of sales and joined 15.5. And uh, at 15.5, I was the first sales leader. Uh, The company was six years old and had primarily been focused on self-service. So the entire way that we went to market was by uh, customers hitting our website, signing up for a free trial. If they liked it, they put in a credit card number. And some of these customers turned from you know, a couple hundred dollars a month or $10 a month into paying us tens of thousands of dollars every single month. And that was happening through a little bit of customer success and a lot of natural organic expansion. And so uh, the founders, David Hassel uh, and uh, Nazar Ivaniv and Shane Metcalf decided that they wanted to hire a VP of sales and build a sales team to sell 15.5 direct. And so I joined in August of 2017 as the first VP of sales to do that.
0: That's awesome news. And typically, it's a very difficult and tough moment of the company, a kind of early scaling up and uh, going upstream uh, in their scaling up journey and deciding for the best uh, VP of sales or the wrong VP of sales can be uh, a very good or bad decision. <laughs> and yeah. uh, uh, and it, uh, I'm sure it was amazing for for them. So uh, how did your role evolve, evolved from the, the time that you joined as the VP of sales uh, until the moment now that you are the chief revenue officer and, the, and I mentioned that the company in terms of skill and ad count at the time and now, mm-hmm. Uh,
1: should be a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I, I was employee 33, uh, and I think we're at 185 or so uh, today, just a little over two years later. So when I first joined, uh, as you said, I was the vice president of sales. I led sales development, and our account executives, and our account management function, which focused on expansion. And about a year later, I took over responsibility for customer support and customer success. Um, one of our co-founders, Shane Metcalf, was leading uh, support and success at the time, And he is um, so phenomenal at culture. Um, We have a 5.0 on Glassdoor and we have over 75 reviews on Glassdoor, which is pretty unheard of. I think we've had six people ever voluntarily leave 15Five, and like three of them went to go travel the world uh, and they didn't even leave for other companies. And so Shane is so gifted at culture and given what we sell and who we sell it to, it's really important that we are fantastic at culture. And so Shane shifted to become our chief culture officer and evangelist for 15.5. And I took over uh, customer support and customer success, keeping sales. And the real focus of that was to uh, create a very aligned and centralized customer journey. um, So that we have one experience for our customer rather than uh, kind of a a motley assemblage of disconnected uh, stages of a customer journey. So as a customer moves from Um, marketing and qualification with our sales development team and then an evaluation process supported by our account executives and then to long-term success and adoption under our success team with a technical support layer uh, from our customer service representatives uh, along the way. It creates a much more coherent, cohesive experience, which generates a lot more success for our customers and long-term value for 15.5 and unlocks a lot of expansion opportunities inside of our customer base as well.
0: Got it, and and let's give a step back to give to uh, Forward, which is what is 15.5 about?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. We probably should talk about what 15.5 does, right?
0: Uh,
1: So 15.5, we're focused on improving the relationship between an employee and a manager. Uh, Ultimately, the work at a business gets done at the individual contributor and manager level as those two people are aligned around goals and objectives, what's most important, Um, and the manager kind of removing obstacles to allow that IC to get the work done. And so uh, we offer software that creates a weekly check-in process. It's a questionnaire that takes about 15 minutes a week for an employee to fill out and five minutes a week for the manager to then review and respond. And so what we're doing here is we're improving employee engagement. We're increasing the quality and quantity of feedback from manager to employee we're improving alignment as now manager and employee are in sync on the most important priorities and uh, the order in which those things need to get done. And then there's a whole system for um, giving one another high fives and uh, you get this whole kind of, we call it the Facebook feed of positivity, right? You just get this this run of uh, coworkers complimenting and thanking one another for a job well done, which has a significant in, improve and lift on morale. And so through our software, which enables um, a one-on-one agenda, the OKR uh, tracking at a company and individual level and team level, uh, and then at the end, a performance review. It creates a really nice ecosystem for managers to become better managers.
0: And, and I assume that part of the uh, huge challenge uh, related with the product, I'm not sure I'm, I'm just guessing and, and taking some risk here in the podcast live, Uh mm-hmm. Are related with with the um, the habits to develop the habits of every single week, uh, get there and and do the job to to make your life easier. Uh, is it true or or it's, it's much but, easier uh, than what I thought?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I would say that's exactly right. I mean the the problem that most of us have as managers isn't that we don't know what we are supposed to do. It's that we forget in the moment to do the things that we know we are supposed to do. We haven't developed habits and the muscles. And so a lot of what 15.5 is bringing through software is the infrastructure and kind of the scaffolding that a manager um, is, is just kind of served up with inside of our product to ensure that the right conversations are happening at the right times. And so, for example, it's very easy as managers to sit down with your employee at the beginning of a quarter and set some goals. And then you're like 80 (laughs) days into the quarter and you're like, crap, how are we doing against our goals? (laughs) Instead, 15.5 forces the employee to update their goals on a weekly basis. And so now manager and employee are both confronted with how that employee is doing. What kind of progress are they really making? And so it ensures that the manager is now having the right conversation with the employee at the right time, which should be at least weekly to understand what kind of progress we're making, how do I unlock? or unblock the obstacles that you're facing and ensure that you're really on track to achieve the things that we as a business need you to achieve. So yes, I I would say very much, this is about creating habits. Um, And it's not that managers are bad managers because they don't know what to do. Oftentimes we know what to do. We just forget because we're busy and we're dealing with fires all the time.
0: Absolutely, and 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 this is something also very important. So we are so busy, especially in the on the scaling up journey, that we forget to develop ourselves. And mm-hmm. at a certain moments, we we might be in a situation where the company is growing faster than ourselves, and we are yeah. we don't have uh, any more the skills and the mindset to deal with the growth of the company, the growth of the team. Um, so uh, how how do you work on yourself, and how do you keep your mindset and your skills? Uh, growing faster than
1: than the company? Yeah. All I do is listen to the Scale Up Valley podcast. That's literally <laughs> the only thing I do. No, that's um, no, a great question. <laughs> Just listen to this podcast, everyone. Um, no, I think that um, one of the important things that we need to recognize as leaders is that um, leading and managing are two different things. And for us as middle managers, right? I'm not the CEO of 15.5. So technically I'm a middle manager but also sit on top of an organization that has 85, 90 people in it. And so I'm very much in a leadership role where I'm casting vision. And so um, in, in this concept of uh, can we as individuals scale and grow as fast as our organization can, right? So 15, five is going to double from, from 2018 to 2019. And uh, can I as a leader double my skill set? That's a really hard thing to do. It's a really hard thing to talk about. But what can double for sure is my vision. And so, you know, we're going to um, embrace new selling methodologies, the way that we interact with our customers and our customer success managers. Like, that's going to change. The level of executive presence needs to change. Um, our messaging is going to change. And sometimes that can be hard for an individual contributor to essentially like double their skill sets. But my job as a leader, and for a lot of your listeners who are in leadership roles, their vision for what the future ought to look like can double year over year. And so then it's about creating the systems and the, and the kind of practices inside of the organization that are going to allow the organization to double. So I, I think that's an important distinction um, that, that leaders who are listening need to embrace is the idea that your vision can double. So then like, how do I learn? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I do read a lot of books. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I do read a lot of blogs. Um, and I'm somebody who learns a lot through conversation and through dialogue. And so I make it a point to have coffee chats with, uh, uh, peers in the Raleigh Durham area. We all, our headquarters is San Francisco. So I go to San Francisco pretty frequently and I'm able to sit down with other CROs, um, and pick their brains on, on what strategies are working from them. And the last thing that I think is really important is mentorship. So I try to cultivate uh, a number of different mentors who have been to the places that I haven't been to yet. And I just I come in with a whole list of questions. I hammer them for answers. And then the important thing that I do with my mentors is I always circle back with them to say, here's what I've done based on your advice. Because I'm not paying these people. They're, they're just kind, right. generous folks who are giving me their time. And so what they are looking for is to know that they're making an impact. And so I always circle back to say, here's what I've done with the advice that you gave me so that they can feel the impact that they've had.
0: Got it. So let's move to the, to the second topic of our mm-hmm. uh, podcast, which is. We discuss a team, so how do we ensure that we don't become the bottleneck of ourselves and that we keep growing faster than the company, that we structure the ideal team for each stage of growth uh, of the company. So now it's all about the most difficult part of our jobs, which is of defining what we will not do uh, and what we will double down on. So how, how do you define your own uh, OKRs and how do you help define the company um, OKRs? Uh, and And how do you deal this um, this, this fear of missing out. I, I believe it's, it's kind of this. So we are yeah. trying to scale. So in, in principle, the natural thing to do is to add more things to do. So we need to do more instead of doing less. Uh, and Andy, you will explain to me how, how, how do you, how do you feel about
1: yeah. it? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll quickly tangent, then I'll come back to your question. One, one of the most informative Speakers uh, that I ever talked to was a guy who was the chief operating officer at an airline. I think it was United Airlines, but I might have that wrong. He later became the CEO of Red Hat, which recently sold to IBM for $34 billion, a guy named Jim Whitehurst. And, and so the airline that he was the chief operating officer was coming, for, coming out of bankruptcy. And what he did was he put together a plan of what the airline was going to do. Uh, to come out of bankruptcy and turn around customer experience, et cetera. And then he went around to all the different locations and he would show people what was on his one piece of paper. He'd say, if it's not on this one piece of paper, we're not doing it. And here's here's the part that really hit me. He said, you want to know what's not on this piece of paper? Lost luggage. Do we have a problem with lost luggage in our airline? Yes. Are we focused on it right now? No. No. (laughs) We were focused on on time. We're focused on in-flight experience. We're focused on all these other things. And these are the only things that we are doing. It was just this intense level of focus. And for me, that was so important to learn five or six years ago to recognize that like, I mean, I constantly have team members coming to me and saying, Brad, this is broken. Brad, we need to fix this. And fundamentally they're right in the same way that the airline had a problem with lost luggage. But we as leaders have to get our people to focus on the things that we have determined that we were going to do. And if it's not on our one piece of paper, we're not doing it right now. And so, so much of that happens through OKRs. And so I know, Mike, that you're a fan of Rockefeller Habits. We did Rockefeller Habits at Windsor Circle for a long time. We then transitioned over to Entrepreneurs Operating System Attraction which is kind of like a a cousin to Rockefeller Habits. I think they're both great methodologies. (laughs) Both of them, and Rockefeller Habits even calls it the one-page plan. And so I love what they bring, which is sit down and understand what is your BHAG? What is your 10-year vision? What is the thing that you are going to accomplish long-term? And then bring that down into what do you need to do in the next three years? Okay, you now described and you painted the picture of what your future looks like three years from now. Now determine what do you have to do this year to bring your three-year vision to life. Now what do you have to do this quarter in order to accomplish your goals for the next year? And so um, for the last probably seven years of my career, I've done uh, quarterly strategic planning and annual planning where we kind of reset and rethink is what is what are we kind of trying to do in the next three years? What are our goals for this year? So right now we are literally in the middle of 2020. <coughs> excuse me. We're literally in the middle of 2020 planning. And um, we are ensuring that we have clarity on what are the most important things that we must accomplish. And then of course, we bring that down to the quarter, and then we'll kind of reset our, our goals on a uh, three to six month basis, depending on the type of goal that it is. Then everybody puts their OKRs into 15.5. And on a week, because we obviously offer OKR tracking inside of our software. Absolutely. And so now on a weekly basis, Every single employee is confronted with their own individual OKRs and I am presenting to our entire company progress against our revenue organization's OKRs. And so we are we are making these things top of mind and we're very clear that this is the set of things that we have to get done. And if it's not on this piece of paper, we're not focused on it right now. And it doesn't mean it's not a worthy thing to focus on eventually. So let's put it on our list of future things that we might tackle. But for right now, we are focused on this set of things. So to your point about like, how do I not become the bottleneck? It's, it's, so, it's locked up in this idea, um, which is, here's my intention. Here are the things that we're going to accomplish. And by the way, you also understand our goals for the year and for our vision for three years. And so we then give decision-making power. We want to push it as far down the organization as possible. Southwest Airlines is famous for this. Actually, another airline example. Um, You want to push the decision-making power down the organization. You can create some policies that help with that. But so much of it is that each individual understands where we are going as a business so that they can make decisions that are aligned to the strategy that we've made very clear rather than me having to make every decision.
0: This is a very good point uh, why some companies are not able to scale. So when all the decisions important and not important are coming to the leaders, uh, we will face decision fatigue and we will not have the energy to make the real important decisions for the business, uh, which is kind of a, a pity, but uh, it's, as you were saying, it's it's, it's very, it happens a lot. <laughs>
1: That's right. And, and I would add that, I mean, I'm, I'm creating a little bit of risk for me and the organization, right? Because I've got an employee who's going to make a different decision than the one that I would have made. Um, but on the whole, I think you end up winning, right? So I think it's very important to recognize that you are taking some risk with that And that means that you can't get mad at the employee later on for doing their best. And you have to assume positive intent, that, given the information that they had at their time, their level of experience and expertise, they did their best to make the right decision. And so if they end up making the wrong decision, which will happen, you don't berate them, you turn it into a learning opportunity.
0: Absolutely. And it's it's very easy to, to to understand that maybe we will have one or two or three strategic decisions that we take every quarter. So it should be almost uh, once a month. So we should be the ones that we should be deciding. But we all know that we are making decisions every single day about mm-hmm. things that we should not be thinking about. And uh, a change of direction, uh, will we offer a new vertical or we will change the vertical that we agreed to, to serve? Uh, this quarter is a strategic uh, decision. Is this a life or death experience? This was not in the budget uh, and it might close the company or make us feel in bankruptcy. Okay, I I want to know, and maybe I need to go to the CEO to talk about this and to the founders Mm -hmm. (laughs) before I make this one this. So, and I think that that's really sometimes even the definition of what is a strategic decision and that's why the C-suite is there. Uh, to really have the responsibility about decisions that can change the direction of uh, of the company, and the majority of them, uh, nothing will happen because they also can be corrected.
1: <laughs> yep. absolutely. So I had an executive coach um, last year, and one of the things that she was really helping me with was my growth and development. Right, and we talked about can I, can I double my abilities as a leader? And so she gave me some guidelines as a CRO, which I think might be helpful. So she said. Um, number one, I should be focused on decisions that involve more than one department, right? So I lead six different departments. Um, So I should be involved in decisions that are gonna affect more than one department. Um, We talked about it being only decisions that are quote, big decisions. And so we kind of arbitrarily came up with the number of $500,000. If the decision isn't gonna create $500,000 or cost $500,000, then I probably shouldn't be involved in it. And, and you can pick for your own business. Like, what is that number? Right. But I try to think about that. Like, is this worth $500,000? Then no, I'm like not going to be involved in it. Um, another one was she said, delegate anything that somebody can do 80% as well as you, um, which I thought was a great rule of thumb. Right. And so there, there's a lot of things that people can do 80% as well. as me. heck there's a lot of people who do much better than I can. Um, And so if somebody can do it 80% as well as me, delegate it. So that was really helpful. And then the other thing that she pushed for was that for me as a C-level executive, I need to be working more across the organization. I should be spending more of my time working uh, with other departments uh, outside of the revenue organization as well and up and coordinating the things that are going to happen there. And spending less time working down inside of my organization. And so I have uh, weekly one on ones with my leadership team. We call it the revenue leadership team, the RLT. Um, they submit their 15 5 check ins, which gives us an asynchronous ability to stay aligned. And then, of course, we, I know their OKRs at their department level and they know them at the revenue organization level. And then we do a weekly meeting. Um, built on entrepreneurs' operating system. There's a similar model in Rockefeller habits it. called the Level Ten Meeting. We follow the Level Ten agenda to a T, and uh, we do that every Wednesday. Uh, happen tomorrow. And uh, other than that, they run their departments. They know the objectives. They know that I'm here to support them, um, but it's ultimately their responsibility to get the work done. So this allows me to now focus on working cross-functionally. Focus on strategy. Uh, work on board-level engagement, work with my CEO on different things, um, and know that the right things are getting done uh, farther down inside of the organization uh, across my team.
0: And, and this is an amazing example that you are just sharing with, with our community uh, because uh, I think it was Zohar, the CEO of WeBits a uh, company based out of uh, New York, who said on the show uh, that... Uh, Part of the job of the CEO is to have another CEOs around him uh, in the leadership team. So uh, mm-hmm. world-class VPs are are, are are people that would be uh, very easily the CEO of the business themselves. Uh, so they are so good and they understand the business so well as, a, as an in a holistic perspective. Uh, that they can, they can make decisions uh, related with the business, not with mm-hmm. the function. Uh, I love that. They have a strength uh, around... Uh, the function that they are leading, uh, but they are really prepared to to go to the CEO position and start making decisions. And if we kind of apply the same rule to our teams, it, it's the, the same kind of uh, um, association or analogy that we can do about everyone on our, on our team can become the next me. Uh, mm-hmm. And. and Put put himself or herself in my position and make a decision uh, about the team. And I think it's it's a very good analogy that that you were just sharing uh, with us today. Again,
1: yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I certainly encourage. Uh, not all of my department leaders have done this, but um, and I haven't required them to do it. But uh, I have many, and I've encouraged them to write their own. Three-year strategy, right? Their own vision traction organizer for just their function, right? What do they want their group to look like in three years? What are their goals for the year? What are their goals for the quarter? Um, And of course, it needs to be aligned to what we're doing with the revenue organization. The revenue organization needs to be aligned with what's happening at the company level. But this idea of we're all kind of miniature CEOs who ought to be running our businesses like CEOs is really important.
0: Absolutely, especially because when scaling the company, it's all about dividing the company into different cells. Because if we if we don't cut cells, uh, the system will not grow in a in a healthy way because it will become too big, uh, to, to 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 manage, too complex. Again, it's it's all about simplifying the system.
1: Absolutely, and there's an interesting thing around the the you know multiplying the cells and complexity and, and simplicity. Where, you know, so then it becomes my role, right, as, as a cross-functional leader to ensure that we do have our product team and engineering teams and marketing team and sales team all kind of working together to create one coherent, cohesive customer experience and journey. And so that's part of where um, we create simplicity for each person in their individual role, but we simultaneously, in some ways, have a very complex organization because these things have multiplied and they're scaling. And so then it becomes my job to ensure that cross-functionally things are simple. So a great example of this, which I love that we did at 15.5, is um, we got rid of the idea of an ideal customer profile. Like all these businesses, all these software companies talk about, what's your ICP? What's your ICP? Well, an ICP at, at at a whole company level is is in some ways very confusing because you have now your salespeople and your marketing team trying to go sell to the ideal customer profile. Meanwhile, the research and development or product and engineering teams are trying to build for the ICP at the same time, which is great, but the product might not be here yet. And so we got rid of ideal customer profile and then we replaced it with three different things. We have the target customer, the serviceable customer, and the future customer. So here's the idea. And in many ways, the the ICP would be um, the future customer, right? So before we can go sell a thing, we have to have the thing, right? And so our product and engineering teams are constantly building for our future customer. Who is the customer that we want to be our customer in six months or in 12 months? So they're building that future functionality for the new type of customer as we're trying to move up market or we're trying to move into a new vertical or we're trying to move into a new geo. So they have to go build it first. So we've defined who is our future customer and they are building the product for that customer. Well, then uh, we have who our marketing team is going to proactively try to find. They're going to spend the dollars. We're going to spend sales development resources going after this customer. And so this is our target customer. Mm -hmm. But we can obviously sell to a lot more people than just our target customers, right? So our target customer might be a technology company uh, that is growing at 50% or more per year and uh, is based in the United States. But I can sell to a services business based in Canada as long as they speak English, (laughs) but they're not my target customer. So I don't want to spend marketing dollars to go get that customer. But if they come inbound, you better believe that we're going to try to win that deal. So that's part of our serviceable customer. So what's interesting is that as a company, we don't have an ideal customer profile anymore. We have these three different things, but depending on your job function inside of 15.5, you're going after one of those things. If you're a sales rep, it's says the serviceable customer is the only thing you care about. If you're a marketer, you only care about the target customer. If you're a product manager, you only care about the future customer. And so we end up creating a product supply chain that leads into a go-to-market supply chain to ensure a great customer experience and it's very simple for each individual person in the company, but it is this layer of complexity across the entire company. Amazing. So it, it, it's, it's an interesting thing. Like, so I think so much of what we need to do as leaders is focus on how do we create simplicity for the individual person in their job so that they can do their job efficiently and productively. And that oftentimes means we create a level of complexity at the company level that we as leaders have to be working cross-functionally to go manage, which is why I can't be so focused going down the company with my time and, and energy. Mine needs to be focused across the business and up the business.
0: Absolutely. And and, and, and that's incredible, the power of that when, when that happens. So we have a lot of CEOs frustrated that their leadership teams are not very well aligned, and they are working on on, on, on silos, they are not communicating with each other, they are not making decisions together. Uh, and at that stage, that's incredible to have maybe seven, five to seven people in the leadership team, and they are uh, kind of helping the CEO to do his, his or her job uh, in a much stronger way, because they are being really a collective intelligence uh, mechanism to make decisions that are in principle, much more intelligent than just one person or one man or one woman show.
1: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It's
0: a good one. And let's move to execution. Uh, Mm -hmm. We discussed it again, uh, people, strategy. Now let's go for um, execution. Nowadays, and and that's part of what 15.5 allows us to do, we have all our own rhythms, our dailies, our one-on-ones, weeklies, monthlies, uh, Mm -hmm. annuals. Uh, So what are some of the meeting rhythms that are the most useful for you to lead your team and to assure that that, that clarity of vision and that execution pace, accountability, et cetera?
1: Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll kind of try to run through this very quickly as a list. And then if you want to dig in on any of them, we can do that, but maybe for listeners, this will help. And we're not doing anything that's, that's totally new and innovative at 15.5, but it's, it's certainly, it's, it's best practices for a reason and it's working for us. So we certainly do uh, annual planning in the November December time frame every year as we plan out the next year. So we're currently planning out 2020 right now. We'll set uh, all of our goals for 2020, and we'll kind of relook at the three year vision uh, and set our Q1 uh, three months to six month OKRs. Uh, we we have the time frame fit the objective or the initiative rather than the initiative get forced into uh, a three month time frame uh, kind of arbitrarily. Mm -hmm. Um, so then we move into uh, a quarterly strategy retreat where we will uh, review our progress on goals for the year and uh, kind of reset any objectives that might need to be reset or rebuilt so that moves us from uh, annual down to quarterly Um, then on a monthly basis we're we're actually starting a new thing we haven't uh, done this much yet um, but where my revenue leadership team will come in and present on, it's just a 10, 15 minute presentation, but it's, here's the progress against my OKRs and what I've accomplished in the last 30 days. Here's my commitment for the next 30 days. Here's where I'm stuck and need some help from everybody on brainstorming. And so this ensures that we're not trying to get all of our OKRs done in the last two or three weeks of the quarter, but we have consistent progress happening uh, every 30 days um, with commitments and some brainstorming that happens. So that's monthly. Um, and there's a, there's a handful of things that happen on a weekly basis. So I mentioned uh, we do our weekly level 10 meeting uh, every Wednesday. And the layout for that, there's one in, in Rockefeller Habits. There's another one in, uh, in Traction. Um, but we just follow that uh, pretty much to a T. Um, we do use 15.5 to submit a weekly check-in, uh, which is asynchronous and via software. And so um, that creates some great visibility and alignment on a week-to-week basis. Um, and then I do 30-minute one-on-ones. They're generally all on Tuesdays with my direct reports. Um, the one-on-one is largely driven by uh, the my direct report, um, but we are reviewing the objectives to ensure that they're online and, and kind of like bring up any conversation that didn't happen already inside the check-in. Um, and then I may have one or two things that I'm adding on to that. So 30-minute weekly one-on-one. Um, we do a a 30 minute company-wide meeting every Monday, review the company OKRs. Um, each department will give, uh, we kind of rotate which department is spotlighted uh, for that week to go deeper um, and give a little bit more in-depth understanding of what's going on with them. Um, and then, uh, so that covers the week. And then we go into, on a daily basis, I'm a huge fan of a 10 to 15 minute daily stand-up. Especially for salespeople, the daily standup needs to be, where are you against goal? What does your pipeline look like? Uh, What is the one most important thing you have to do today? Did you do yesterday's one most important thing? And then where are you stuck? Every person just quickly goes through it. Um, On our daily standup, we actually have each person submit on Slack the answers to their questions, to those questions in advance, there's a little template drop it in in advance of the standup meeting. And then when we hop on standup, they are kind of reading through it, but it creates some space for discussion. Oh, you're stuck on that. I can help you with that. It creates the public level of here's what I was supposed to do yesterday and I didn't do it or I did do it. I'm proud of that. Right. And so we always try to, the goal is to get a perfect week where every day, all five days, everybody accomplished their one thing for today. And I think the key is to not let your employees get away with something vague, which is like, I need to follow up with my customer, with my prospects. Like, that doesn't count. Like, what is the thing you have to do in the follow-up? Like, I need to get my customer to name their objections so that I can work on resolving them. Or I need to move my, this specific customer from a demonstration into a proposal stage and get their buy-in that they're ready to take the next step. So, encourage the specificity in that. Um, And that set of rhythms uh, tends to work really well for me.
0: Very, very good ones. Um, amazing. And I, I believe that one of the rhythms that people have a lot of resistance about is the one-on-one, uh, which is everyone understands the concept, but uh, everyone feels very... Um, uh, not not so comfortable to start the rhythm and how to uh, lead the agenda, especially if we want to be, to, to make the one-on-one more kind of live business plan uh, session together instead of being just mm-hmm. going through OKRs. Uh, and um, So uh, how how do you make your one-on-ones uh, more productive and more useful for you and, and for your uh, people?
1: Yep, so um, one thing that I believe very strongly in is there needs to be a shared agenda which is populated in advance of the meeting. Um, I have. Had my team members come in with no items on the one-on-one agenda, and I have said to them two minutes in the meeting, "Well, I see that you have nothing to talk about today, so we're canceling." I and mean, they're like, wait, 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 wait. It's like, "Well, <laughs> you didn't prepare for the meeting. You didn't say you didn't come up with an agenda for this meeting in advance. It clearly wasn't important to you." So, so I think part of it starts with the mindset that every direct report needs to understand that this meeting is important, and if they're not going to take it seriously, I'm just not going to do the meeting. Right. So then the second thing is that um, I think that the, the right way to run um, a lot of meetings is, is one, you do need to quickly cover the metrics. Uh, if you're using software like 15.5, the metrics should already be known by both parties. And so that is very quick. And you're just saying, are there any quick highlights that I need to be aware of? Um, but, and you got to time box this stuff, right? So like that's five minutes max which leaves 25 minutes for kind of what's up or other talking points. And um, again, those talking points need to be clearly defined. And I think it's important for the direct report to be able to say what they need out of each talking point. So, Hey, this is, I'm asking you for a decision on something. I'm asking you to just give me some feedback on this idea. This thing I'm just making you aware of, and I don't need any response on it. Any of those three are fine. But there needs to be a high degree of intentionality from the direct report to ensure that the meeting is productive. Um, The the last thing that I'll add is is with uh, a customer success manager or an account executive um, where they are kind of in the weeds with their customers on a week-to-week basis. I think also you can pull out part of the uh, one-on-one for... Uh, you know a pipeline review if you 're an account executive or a customer update if you 're a CSM, and you talk about what 's going on inside of the business or that person 's portfolio, and you kind of talk through the individual the strategy of individual customers and that 's where a lot of the training and development happens for your ICS as they get better at their jobs through you providing that mentorship and coaching so I, I honestly think of those one on ones with those with with that level of direct report it's a combination of two, you're really having two meetings in one. You're doing the one-on-one and then separately you're doing a pipeline review or you're doing a customer account review um, and providing that level of coaching. So I, I think that the one-on-ones are really critical. I think you can really do them uh, at 30 minutes a week. I do all of mine on Tuesdays, which means I get a little exhausted by the end of the day. Um, but because they are every week, if I have to cancel the meeting because I'm on an airplane all day on Tuesday, for example... Um, I don't reschedule them. It's just canceled, and I'm going to see you again next week. And we have fifteen five, and you know how to find me if you have something that's urgent. And I trust that you will. Right.
0: Very good points. Thank, thanks for for sharing your experience uh, leading one-on-ones. And we get to we got to the to the final question of the show, one of our favorites, which is: uh, If you would have the opportunity to um, meet Barat at the beginning when they when he was joining fifteen five, what advice would you offer uh, to him?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so if, if yeah, you said that when I, if I was joining fifteen five if you'll allow me to rewind it to maybe earlier in my career, my oh, early 20s. Absolutely. Um, so for me, I, I think uh, if I were to rewind, I, mean, I started Windsor Circle when I was 27 years old. Um, so I was what, five years out of college um, and I'd worked at you know, two companies and I'd been in business school for a couple of years. So I had a lot of head knowledge, but I don't know that I had a very large worldview of how um, kind of business works or how different types of companies work. And so I think that if I were to rewind, I would focus on learning as much as possible in my early twenties and kind of mid twenties, late twenties focus on learning and learn at small companies, learn at big companies. Like Mm -hmm. as somebody who wants to spend my career in startups, um, I would have benefited from working in a larger company. It doesn't have to be a 20,000 person company, but go work in a 700 person or a 1500 person company for a couple of years and get exposed to the inner workings and the rhythms and a lot of the scaling processes that we've been talking about. You get a glimpse into what the future looks like in a way that you don't always see when you're just working in startups the whole time. So yeah, startups are more fun. But like, take some time, go to your tour of duty at a big company, and then you can always come back to startups. Um, also, I think that so many people, and I was guilty of this as well, they want to move into management so fast. And it's not that being ambitious and wanting to move into management is bad. But again, when you're focused just on learning as an individual contributor, um, it gives you, like, management's a very different job, and you become a better manager when you have learned a lot. And so if you can go and create a lot of exposure to different ways of thinking, different sales processes, uh, different customer journeys, um, and focus on just the learning part of it and not taking on all the responsibility. Um, like the management opportunities will come. I promise they'll come. Um, but but use that stage to focus on learning uh, and don't be afraid to be an individual contributor for a longer period of time.
0: Amazing one. Uh, Brett, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Absolutely, Mike. Thanks for having me.
0: And to our community, thanks for being on that side. We keep here helping you to scale your business from 2 million to 100 million error. Keep scaling and see you soon.